Okay, Pasa, Mufasa, Salam Aleikum, and Shalom. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. Happy Friday. Today, I'm extremely honored to host Australia's top biohacker, Lucas Owen. This dude is chiseled from top to bottom and all through the mind as well. I had the good fortune of meeting Lucas in Amsterdam at the Biohacker Summit there, where each of us had our own keynotes. Game recognized game. We did a little podcast swaparoo. I featured on Lucas's podcast, and although we did record this episode some time ago, here it is today in all its glory. I think this individual has a lot of very impressive information to share, very important information. So we're going to dive into all of it right now. And since we're on the subject of biohacking, let's biohack your way to a better biome. And we can do that by using a couple of products from the Mycopreneur sponsors, All Killer No Filler, Fruiting Body Supplements, yes, the mushroom part of the mushroom, none of the grain, none of the filler, none of the roots, none of that other gobbledygook. This podcast is brought to you by Real Mushrooms. Check out realmushrooms.com, the gold standard in functional mushroom extracts in North America. And I'm using a number of the supplements they have on offer on a daily basis. And I'm even giving some to my dog. Yes, they've got precision targeted mushrooms for the canine bio to help support immune vitality and overall health. Tap in with Real Mushrooms. Also, got to give a huge shout out to Everyday Dose Mushroom Coffee. I'm a big time coffee guy, but I can't be drinking three or five cups of coffee. So I've started taking my morning coffee as usual and then switching over to Everyday Dose, which also has coffee in it, by the way. And it truly is an impactful and inspiring addition to my workflow. Work smarter, not harder. You know what they say. Rounding out the trifecta of Micropreneur Power Sponsors, Microboost, baby. Yes, M-Y-C-R-O. B-O-O-S-T. And you better believe that I'm about to pop a couple of these brain capsules right here as I'm recording this. Mm, Yes, that's the Lion's Mane Cordyceps Mushroom Extract Vegan Capsules. All of these products, of course, are only made using fruiting bodies. Yes, because we want our mushrooms to have mushrooms in them. All right, without further ado, shout out to everyone listening. Hope you're having a great Friday. I have a good feeling it's going to be a great weekend for you. Onward and upward, let's get this show on the road. Okay, Pasa Mufasa, what's up, everybody? We've got Lucas Owen here, Australia's number one biohacker and a men's health expert. We're going to talk about testosterone and men and many other important facets of men's health today. Welcome to the program. How are you doing today? Lucas. Dennis, great to be here, man. Like I'm yeah, very, very excited to to chat and I'm yeah, stoked to be here. Yeah, so we had a chance to tune in on your podcast where I was recently hosted and in person before that in Amsterdam. So I've been following your work since then and learning quite a bit. So I figured it would benefit my audience today if we could discuss some of the cutting edge research that you're involved with, both in the psychedelic space and beyond. So maybe the first place to jump in is straight into your area of expertise, which is about testosterone and testosterone levels in men. So what is it specifically that makes testosterone so important for men, Lucas? Yeah, well, I might share a bit of a background story into like with the the biohacking space. I mean, I'm, I've been in this space for at least seven years now, and I've been very passionate about ways in which we can optimize a human body and how we can improve um, energy, recovery, focus, improve sleep. Um, and as I dive deeper, I started to realize that testosterone for men was absolutely essential to be dialed in to improve energy, recovery, confidence, well-being. And so I started diving deep into the literature, started learning about what testosterone actually is, what effects it exerts on the body. 
and how it can uh, massively affect our thoughts and behaviors. Uh, and then I started to realize, all right, now this is this is the hormone to really dial in and, and optimize. And then from there, I went off on a quest to uh, to massively optimize my testosterone levels naturally. And I en- ended up getting it near 1,000 nanograms per deciliter, which is pretty much you know, maxing out the reference range uh, in terms of testosterone. Yeah, well, I think it's safe to say that testosterone levels in men specifically in the United States and in a lot of Western countries are at an all-time high right now. No, that's a little bit of a joke. Actually, I think they're, they're quite lacking, right? There's been a, an issue with a lot of the male population maintaining optimal T levels or testosterone levels. Why is it today that testosterone levels in men seem to be so low? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, if we look at the reasons why men have such low testosterone these days, it really comes back to um, environmental toxins and plastics in our environment looking at things like uh, nutrient deficiencies, uh, poor sleep, extreme stress, and also um, obesity or carrying excess body weight. So there's various factors that are contributing to this low testosterone state that a lot of men are facing. And in terms of like dialing in different elements of their lifestyle, so we're looking at you know, optimizing sleep, getting good nutrition, optimizing your diet, optimizing your um, exercise workouts and making sure you're doing some form of, you know, heavy weight training. Um, But if we really, you know, look at the main causes of low testosterone in men, you know, it really comes back to that poor lifestyle decisions. And it really can be, uh, it can be changed. Like this is something where, you know, with the help of, you know, myself and other men's health educators, we can, you know, teach men that there are various things that they can do and also take supplemental um, that can, you know, help to optimize their testosterone levels naturally. So what's one of the first things that someone can do if they're feeling like they're depleted on their testosterone levels? And I think a lot of us have been there where if you haven't been optimally cultivating your health, then issues can compound. And then all of a sudden it becomes this kind of huge heroic effort, it feels like that's required to get back in shape and to get back on top of the game. What are some basic things that an individual can do right now if they want to turn around their health and they want to start pursuing a better testosterone level? Yeah. So if a guy really wants to max out his testosterone levels immediately, um, the first thing that I would change is their diet. Um, And so specifically focusing in on um, saturated fats, so plenty of organ meats, you know, um, liver, kidney, heart, spleen, testes, brain, um, consuming many, many of these organ meats, which are beneficial because they contain highly bioavailable nutrients like vitamins A, D, E, K, or K2. Um, and these nutrients are, you know, well absorbed by the body. And so the first thing would be to, you know, encourage a, a guy to focus on eating these animal-based foods um, because these animal-based foods contain lots of precursors and raw materials to um, increase the conversion of cholesterol into pregnenolone and then into testosterone. So really, it starts with diet. So focusing on like those animal animal meats and organ meats, and then also looking at different types of um, uh, fats. So we need to be focusing in on also the monounsaturated fats, so avocados, macadamia nuts, almonds, different types of nuts that are beneficial for, you know, um, testosterone production. So really from a dietary perspective, yeah, I would say cutting out processed food and uh, um, 
highly refined sugars. That's definitely number one. Um, so yeah, focusing in on those nutritional elements is absolutely key. Right on. Now, for those of you who can't see Lucas, he's absolutely ripped. So I'm curious, is this always the physique that you've maintained or was there a period in time when you really decided to turn on the burners and go for it and get into really peak physical condition? I mean, I was really interested in becoming a professional soccer player from a very young age. So I was always training very intensely. And um, my goal was actually to represent Australia uh, one day, but unfortunately I got a, a knee injury and that sort of set me back. But um, look, I've always been interested in maintaining a good physique because I think number one, I feel great when I look good. And <laughs> I also feel like I, I receive a lot of respect, particularly if I'm going to be an ambassador for men's health. I got to not only walk, not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. Yeah. You know, something that I've become interested in since we connected in Amsterdam at the biohacker summit is about tracking biomarkers. And traditionally, people who get into biohacking start to really pay attention to all of these different biomarkers as a way of quantifying the improvements, right? There's that idea that that which can be measured can be improved. Now, most people in the US that I know and really all over the world would think about weight as the primary metric. Like how much do you weigh, right? And maybe that's misleading in some ways because people have different body types. What are some of the other biomarkers that you pay attention to? And what are some accessible ways that people who maybe don't have high-end clinics at their disposal can tap into tracking their biomarkers so that they can start testing for things like testosterone? Yeah, it's a great question, Dennis. I mean, when it comes to different biomarkers to track um, how healthy someone is. I think number one would be a specific blood test called C-reactive protein or CRP. Um, this is a less commonly, less commonly tested um, blood test marker, but C-reactive protein, if levels are, are, are above three, um, this indicates that the body is under you know, quite a lot of in, um, stress and inflammation. There might be an infection, or potentially this could be due to um, excess body weight. So I think definitely CRP, C-reactive protein, is definitely number one, and that can be done through a blood test. Number two would be resting heart rate. So tracking your resting heart rate, uh, ideally it should be between 40 to 60 um, as soon as you wake up in the morning, so your resting heart rate. And there's plenty of amazing biohacking tools and devices that can do that. You've got the Aura Ring, the BioStrap, the Whoop. My, my bed does that. I've got an eight sleep mattress, so it does all that for me. Um, and then so so there's like two key biomarkers. And then the third would be specifically for men, I would say waking up with morning wood. Um, that can be a, you know, a, a sign that, you know, things are operating smoothly, things are running well, um, blood flow is working well, and also cardiovascular function is in check. Totally. Well, I check that biomarker every day. So I feel pretty solid, pretty literally pun intended there. So here's, here's an area of overlap between your audience and mine that I'd love to dive into, which is talking about nootropics, right? And of course, functional mushrooms and different medicinal mushrooms fit very well into nootropics. And there's all of these different stacks that people will do if they're microdosing, right? You might combine it with lion's mane or niacin. There's different protocols, right? And then beyond that, there's all these emerging herbs that people are interested in using. We briefly discussed a few of them before recording, but things like kratom and kava and canna, all starting with a K right there. But those are three very popular nootropics that get stacked with other 
supplements for people who are interested in taking care of their health. And I'd be curious if you can talk a little bit about some of the new tropics that you employ specifically to increase neurogenesis. Yeah, well, this is a great subject. I mean, there are various nootropics that are designed to increase BDNF, increase um, nerve growth factor, such as, you know, lion's mane. There's different um, medicinal mushrooms that I know you're a big fan of, like cordyceps, um, reishi, shiitake, different types of mushrooms that help with stimulating that neurogenesis pathway. Um, but there's one in particular that I spoke about actually at the Amsterdam Biohacking Summit. Um, I was actually, this was the, the main focus of my talk, which was how we can uh, tickle the same receptor that psychedelics also activate. Um, and that is the serotonin 5-HT2A, the 2A serotonin receptor. This is one of the receptors which we, we understand that classical psychedelics like LSD, psilocybin, mescaline, DMT, they all appear to activate that same sort of, that same receptor. So I was interested in ways that we can also like tickle the receptor or make the, the receptor more engage it in a way that doesn't actually induce the um, hallucinations or the psychedelic, the actual psychedelic experience. Um, and it turns out there is a potent compound found within um, Bacopa monieri, which is a Ayurvedic Indian medicine that's used for memory enhancement. There's a compound within that particular herb called Ebelin lactone, which is, you know, like we say with, let's say you get a, a green tea extract. Most people know that when they buy a green tea extract, there's, there's going to be a little bit of L-theanine in that green tea. That's where L-theanine comes from. Well, Ebelin lactone comes from Bacopa and Bacopa monieri is a Ayurvedic medicine. And what we've established is that this particular compound from Bacopa is a positive, positive allosteric modulator of the 5-HT2A receptor. So basically what this means is that it opens up the receptor, makes it more um, receptive to uh, the endogenous ligand serotonin. And what this can mean is that people can get some of the similar effects that they might see with microdosing psychedelics, but without any of the hallucinations or the, um, you know, some of the uh, changes in perception. Um, so this is a pretty interesting compound um, and it is, you know, commercially available now, which is exciting. And a number of, a number of like early adopters have said that, that, that it's good for like improving creativity, connecting the dots, opening up their mind, improving um, self-awareness and also facilitating more introspective thoughts as well. All of those very important. And just so people out there know, biohacking is not just about looking super chiseled. It's also about, it's about chiseling the brain and the mind too, right? So you want to be sharp cognitively as well as physiologically. And I got to give a shout out to Danielle Ryan Broida, the National Educator for Four Sigmatic, who's been on the podcast twice. She wrote a great book, co-authored with uh, Taro, the founder of Four Sigmatic, called Healing Adaptogens. And they go through a lot of these Himalayan herbs, which I'm sure what you just mentioned is, is covered there. But it's really a, a science that a lot of people in the West are just starting to catch up with, right? You think about a lot of the Ayurvedic herbs and the lifestyle that, that comes along with that, which typically is having higher energy levels, having better libido, just looking like a boss and acting like a boss, right? So I think that Healing Adaptogens is definitely a, a book that should be on people's shelves if they're interested in this 
this topic that we're diving into. And let's keep talking about brain chemistry because something that really captivated me about your keynote that you had at the Biohacking Summit was how in-depth you went into talking about brain chemistry and about the different techniques and herbs that you employ to be able to have a really well-lubricated cerebral machinery up there. So one of those acronyms, and forgive me for not actually knowing what this stands for, but is BDNF. I've heard you talk about BDNF quite a bit in your clips. Can you break that down for us? First of all, what is BDNF? Why is it, why is it important? And what are some of the best ways to boost BDNF in the brain? Yeah, it's a great question, Dennis. I mean, when we look at BDNF, it stands for brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And BDNF is essentially a growth factor that supports the growth and survival and the maintenance of neurons in the brain. So we look at BDNF as like a, a master regulatory hormone that helps to keep the brain cells and neurons in check and healthy um, and also helps to facilitate neurogenesis. So various supplements and nootropics are actually designed, well, one of their effects or their mechanisms of action, um, which by the way, most people, most people love my content because I'm all about mechanism of action. That's like my, I think if, you're, if I had a middle name or middle names, it'd be Lucas Mechanisms of Action Owen <laughs> um, because I just love learning about how things work and different pathways. Um, but if we look at different nootropics and supplements like um, different amino acids. One of them, are taurine, which is found in Red Bull. Funnily enough, taurine is a stimulator and a promoter of BDNF, which is actually a good thing. It's not a bad thing just because it's found in Red Bull. Um, you've got other compounds like um, different uh, nootropics like rhodiola, rosea, that's also been shown to increase BDNF. You've got other herbal extracts like lemon balm, which is also known as Melissa officinalis. That one there is also great for supporting BDNF production. And what we see with BDNF is um, what we see with the similarities between these herbal extracts and pharmaceutical antidepressants. A lot of these antidepressants made by big pharma, like SSRIs and um, you know different or NRI, like different norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, they actually also increase BDNF. So we we can see that. Generally speaking, increasing BDNF, which can be done through supplementation, it can also be done through um, jumping into a sauna. So using a sauna that also increases BDNF, doing a physical activity or exercise that's beneficial. Fasting can significantly increase BDNF. So we can see that it's definitely a pathway that we want to promote and, and facilitate. And there's definitely a range of nootropic stacks that can be used you know, to really bolster and boost that BDNF production. Yeah, that's huge. And one of the most optimal ways, which you briefly touched on right now, and you referenced earlier is having a healthy sleep pattern. And I know for a lot of adult males in the United States, which is my main frame of reference, don't have very healthy sleep patterns. I think people are paying more attention to it now, but because of environmental factors like stress, work-related stress. Alcohol is a big disruptor of sleep patterns for a lot of people, right? So that might be one of the first things to cut out if you're trying to improve your quality of sleep and consistency, frequency of sleep. Now, what are some other important hacks that we should know about? Because I, for one, feel amazing whenever I get a good night's rest, which I would love to be able to say that I track it and I have 100% perfect sleep, but that's definitely not the case. I just took a red-eye flight this week, right? And it took me 48 hours to recover. So 
What are some hacks that people can employ to have better sleep? Yeah, well, definitely when it comes to sleep optimization, I mean, as you mentioned before, Dennis, sleep is the foundation of peak health um, and vitality. And so really, I would like to outline like three key sleep biohacks that people can try pretty much straight away and, and, and you know, see the benefits. So number one would be actually inclining your bed. Now, do, now I'm not sure if you've ever heard of this particular practice. It's known as inclined bed therapy. Um, but basically what this is, is we elevate the head end of the bed. So where your pillow, where you obviously your head would rest. Um, and you're elevating your bed with um, different, like you can use it with old textbooks from high school, or you can use it with, um, you know, some wood slates so that you can elevate it about six to eight inches. And interestingly, we've seen some research uh, demonstrating that inclined bed therapy actually helps with something known as a glymphatic drainage. So it helps to um, helps with brain detoxification. It helps to clear out waste from the brain. And it also helps to reduce the symptoms of acid reflux. So people who get um, heartburn or reflux at nighttime, that can help to reduce that. And also it's beneficial for back pain. So if people are listening in, they want to give it a shot, you know, see how you go, incline your bed. Don't slide off your bed. Unfortunately, if you wake up, if you get up too quickly, you'll end up falling off the bed. So uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely consider that one. Sounds like you're speaking from personal experience there. Has that ever happened? Yeah, like um, I, I ended up sleeping too upright and uh, yeah, I slipped off the bed. But um, now I, I like to suggest like usually around six to eight inches for the the um, inclining range. And then another great biohack would be to, and I know you're probably a fan of this as well, which is wearing blue light blocking glasses at nighttime. I mean, I think everyone at the conference at Amsterdam was wearing a pair of blue light blocking glasses. Um, you know, I, I've been a big fan of those. <laughs> Yeah, that's been a big one. I have employed that before for sure. Had a, uh, it's probably time for me to upgrade my optical bl blue light blocking glasses. But I know that there were a half dozen companies that were present there in Amsterdam. So no shortage of those glasses on the market. And one other sleep hack that's really worked for me I want to share, which brings us back to the domain of mushrooms and functional mushrooms, is I've recently started taking Amanita muscaria tincture. And this is a publicly traded company called Psyched Wellness based out of Canada. And I received some of their Calm Amanita Muscaria tincture. They're not paying me or anything. I'm just saying that this actually has worked for me really well. And I've been doing more research and trying it on myself uh, as far as, as optimizing my sleep. And Amanita Muscaria seems to work really well. So uh, I'll probably talk about that more in future episodes. But also, of course, do your due diligence and your research, you know, before you take on something like that. But in my experience, it's been awesome. So totally recommend a, a nice quality Amanita Muscaria tincture for sleep. So you've obviously got a lot of biohacks that are dialed in right now. You're known as Australia's top biohacker and you earned that mantle through lots of advocacy and education and certainly a lot of personal experience. That's very hard one. At the end of the day, you could read all the books. You can watch all the YouTube videos, but actually adapting these strategies and making them work for you is where the rubber meets the road. And you seem to have done that very well. So what are a few other critical biohacks that you employ to keep you feeling and looking great? Well, actually, another one for sleep is um, relatively unknown, but it's actually from the category of what we call um, marine drugs. 
So um, compounds and substances that are actually found not on like planet, not on um, dry land, but actually under under the water and actually in but within the um, seaweed and the sea environment and things like that. So um, sea marine biology and marine drugs is a really interesting area. Um, most people know about um, wakami as a seaweed. You know, there's different types of seaweeds. You know, there'd be thousands of different types of seaweeds out there. But one in particular that has actually been utilized and studied extremely well um, in Japan and they've spent over $30 million researching this particular seaweed is called Eclonia carva. Now, not to be confused with um, carva, you know, carvas from, you know, Fiji, but this one here is called Eclonia carva. And it's actually a brown algae, a brown seaweed that has some remarkable benefits in terms of improving health and specifically helping with deep sleep. So in particular, Eclonia carva, if you take it about 60 to 90 minutes before bed, number one, it will increase alpha waves in the brain, just like we see with L-theanine. So helping to facilitate like a meditative state, a calm state. Number two, it helps to lower cortisol and it does this pretty dramatically. And that's a good thing. You want to lower cortisol before bed. And then it also helps to increase non-REM sleep or non-rapid eye movement sleep. And one of the biggest effects that both myself and then a bunch of clients that I've worked with have noticed is that when they take a clonia carver before bed, they end up waking up feeling like they cannot possibly go back to sleep. And that's how you know you've had a great sleep is, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you feel so like alert and awake that you, you there's no possible way you could, you know, snoo- hit the snooze button, roll back over and fall back asleep. Like that, that shows that you've had high quality sleep. And I've also tracked it on my, or, or on my um, eight sleep mattress to, to check my um, heart rate variability, my deep sleep and my REM sleep. And I saw improvements in all of those parameters following the use of Eclonia Carva. So um, that one's out of Japan, but it's also available in the US and, and, um, and other countries as well. And that one there is a great um, marine drug that I think has some huge benefits that not many people even know about. Totally. You know, there's also not a lot of research into marine fungi, but it's an area I'm very interested in. There's a lot of fungi that are in the marine ecosystem as well. And uh, I suppose that just as we're starting to catch up with some of this research about the seaweed variability and the potential health benefits there, that there's also got to be some benefits of the fungi. I don't see why that wouldn't be the case. So Stay tuned for that one, everyone, because there's not too much research being done on it currently. Um, mm-hmm. So we've targeted a few different areas of the human body for optimal health, right? We talked about the brain. We talked a little bit about uh, morning wood. We talked a little bit about the heart health and another huge critical component and an organ that we often overtax and ask far more of it than it should ever have to do is the liver. And especially in a society, a developed nation where you have typically a very rich diet, you have a lot of fatty foods and processed foods, you have a lot of alcohol, you know, consumption of alcohol is normalized. 
I know a lot of people are looking for something that can help their liver deal with the enormous caseload that we assign it on a daily basis. And I imagine that you have some biohacks for this as well. So what, what are some of the strategies and some of the dietary supplements that you use to protect the liver and to get the liver functioning optimally? Well, the liver, as you mentioned, is absolutely essential in today's day and age, purely because we're inundated with so many toxins and pollutants. And we need to just make sure that we're respecting and nurturing the organ that detoxifies a lot of these um, toxins and pollutants in our environment. And so that makes the liver, I would say, one of the most important organs in the body to be like doing something to cater, like to nurture or to support. And so if we look at liver health, when I studied naturopathy, you know, I'm a qualified naturopath. We learned about different um, herbal extracts, different botanicals, and there was a key word that kept popping up, which was hepatoprotective, or otherwise there's another one as well called hepatotrophorestorative. And hepatoprotective, there are various different herbs that can, that can exert a um, liver protective effect. Um, and so common ones that most people know about are milk thistle, um, artichoke extract, curcumin, um, there's different type or dandelion root. And what we notice with these different botanicals is funnily enough, a lot of them actually have a very bitter taste. So a lot of these beneficial herbs that are beneficial for liver health actually have a very bitter taste profile. And the bitter receptor is interesting because it actually stimulates, when you activate the bitter receptor on the tongue, it's actually, you know, you can actually activate it on the tongue that actually triggers um, bile production. It stimulates the liver to start detoxifying. And I remember running an experiment on myself at, at school when I was experimenting with different herbs. I actually remember playing around with one really bitter herb called gentian root or gentiana root, which I basically, I put it in, in my, a glass of water, I mixed it in, stirred it around, and then I basically just put it in my mouth, but I didn't actually swallow it. I just put it in my mouth swished it around for maybe like two minutes and then I spat it out. And then I remember feeling like I literally heard gargling and a different noise come from my um, gallbladder region. I started salivating. So I started getting that, you know, saliva production and my appetite increased. And that just goes to show that like these bitter, bitter herbs, which are, you know, they're actually, there's, they're ubiquitous. Like they're, they're commonly found. Um, they actually have a liver protective effect. And the same goes for coffee. Coffee has been shown to have a, a liver protective effect if you if you consume two to three cups per day. Um, and so really some of my favorite liver protective supplements, number one that I use pretty much every single day, Dennis, is artichoke extract. Um, I love artichoke extract. When I looked at it from a traditional Chinese medicine perspective, TCM, they love artichoke. They say it's a liver cooling herb. It helps to reduce liver heat. It also helps to um, restore damaged liver cells. And I say for anyone who really wants to, you know, do something on a daily basis, that's going to help to support their liver. Yeah. I would say artichoke extract is great. And the second unique benefit of artichoke is that funnily enough, it's actually a nootropic. So artichoke extract actually has nootropic properties because it um, inhibits the PDE4 enzyme. And that basically helps with cyclic AMP and long-term potentiation and also verbal fluency. So that's actually one effect that I 
pretty much always notice with artichoke extract is that it improves my verbal fluency. Um, so this is definitely a big winner. Everybody needs that, especially when you're a podcaster and you're hosting dialogues and you're, I've got three episodes I'm recording today. So if I've minced words at all, I apologize for that. And shout out to TCM. Traditional Chinese medicine is super inspiring. I spent some time in Taiwan and South Korea and a few of these regions earlier in the year, Singapore, and would go into a lot of the apothecaries because they're fascinating to see all of the different mushrooms, first and foremost. Uh, it's fascinating to see a dozen different types of cordyceps and to get a whole bag full of lion's mane for the equivalent of two or three dollars, right? And dried lion's mane. And it's often said that traditional Chinese medicine and their knowledge of mushrooms goes back about 4,000 years. And, you know, so a lot of us here in the West are really just catching up with a millennia old tradition that's been deployed by the by traditional Chinese medicine and practitioners. So it's pretty interesting stuff, especially when you start learning about the modern science behind these ancient techniques, right? So I guess along those lines, I'd be curious about what are some of the mistakes that people make when they are taking supplements? Because I think it's pretty common that people get really excited. We, we learn about our artichoke extract and our cordyceps, and then boom, we want to take a bunch of different things. And you know, then the next thing you know, you say, hey, I haven't really improved. Well, there could be maybe a little bit of, of operator error or user error there. So what are some of the critical mistakes that people make when they're tapping into a new supplement routine? Well, I guess when it comes to different supplements, I mean, we first of all need to understand, number one, what is the reason why we're using the particular supplement in the first place? So understanding, okay, like, what is the objective? Am I trying to improve sleep? Am I try trying to improve digestion? Am I trying to support testosterone production? And then understanding the mechanism of action. If you understand how and why something works, that gives you a sense of autonomy. It empowers you with that information. You're, you actually understand what you're doing to your physiology, to your biology. And to me, that is the ultimate goal of biohacking is being able to harness and manipulate your biology to your favor and to be beneficial to your um, unique circumstances. So some of the critical mistakes we see people make with supplementation is number one, uh, a number of people actually use different supplements at the wrong time of the day. Um, and a classic example of this is actually vitamin D. Now, most people, unfortunately, they think that taking vitamin D before bed is beneficial. But actually, if you think about it logically, I mean, the sun rises in the morning and it sets at the end of the day. And so the sun goes away at the end of the day for a very good reason, because dark environments increase melatonin. So in dark environments, we increase melatonin. If you deliberately take or you, without knowing, understanding um, the physiology behind vitamin D supplementation, if you take vitamin D before bed, let's say 2,000, 5,000, 7,000 IU before bedtime, it's going to disrupt your sleep. And we've seen countless reports on Reddit, um, tons of anecdotal reports about vitamin D before bed um, worsening sleep quality. And so that, you know, that makes sense. We want to be avoiding vitamin D before bed. And so it's funny because we see a number of doctors actually not explaining this um, when you go to a pharmacy, they don't really tell you, you know, take this vitamin D. It should be taken early in the day before noon with 
your main meal. So that can be your first meal when you break your fast or perhaps for breakfast, as long as your breakfast has like five grams of fats because vitamin D is fat soluble. So that, that would be number one. Number two would be um, trialing too many supplements all at once. Now I can put my hand up and say that was definitely me. Four or five years ago, I was obsessive with like taking so many different things, doing the shotgun approach and throwing everything at my biology and and seeing how I feel. The big drawback and the issue with that is that you will never understand exactly how you respond to each individual supplement. Because what I've learned over the years is there's various effects that supplements can induce or cause that you may not think are attributed to that particular supplement, but indeed it was because of that supplement. For ha- like for example, you know, there's a certain um, probiotic that I've used over the years. I didn't really understand that it could have this particular effect on mood, but it turned out that it had a you know pretty potent effect on my mood. But it was difficult to understand that until I took more of a, a stripped it back, you know, streamlined my supplement stack, tested each uh, supplement individually first for about two weeks, basically. You, you know, you're no longer a virgin to these compounds. You actually understand them. You actually understand the supplements and then you can, you know, build out your stack accordingly. Yeah. I found out the hard way that you shouldn't take too much niacin. And I'm sure some of the listeners out there have had a niacin flush before, but I was at a pharmacy at a grocery store in college and they were having a special of different supplements and it was buy one, get one free. And I remember at that point I had started to learn about niacin. I didn't do my due diligence, right? And I was like, hey, I probably, you know, I'm a big guy. I'm going to take four of these things. And then I got a niacin flush and right away, blood was rushing into my chest and the whole area was burning. I had the presence of mind to do a quick Google to realize I probably wasn't going to die from this, but it was very uncomfortable. I uh, I haven't taken too much niacin since then, so tread lightly. But I think, you know, that's one overt example of getting excited about a supplement without doing your research, and then it ends up being contraindicative or it ends up being counterproductive for you. So more is not always better, right? I think finding the right dosage for you, which also is where probably working with a coach or someone like Lucas is going to be beneficial. So you can really dial into that for yourself because it's different for everyone and different body types. Now, when people get excited about these supplements, you're starting to take your lion's mane supplements and you're taking your microdose and your your milk thistle and so on and so forth. Uh, potentially, you could desensitize your brain, I think, is at least one of the issues that people run into. And I've seen this with microdosing where people say, you know, hey, you have to do a protocol so that you can reset a little bit instead of just building up a tolerance to it. So. Do you have any insights into how you can resensitize your brain to some of these stimulants we've talked about uh, without taking a prolonged break from your routine? Well, that's a great question. I mean, a number of people love the effects of nicotine, caffeine, potentially even some smart drugs or like different stimulants like modafinil or Adderall. And I don't blame them because these stimulants really do help with productivity, focus, alertness, concentration. Uh, But the big drawback is that over time, as we keep dosing these different stimulants like caffeine, we'll use caffeine as the main example. Most people love caffeine, but when they stop drinking coffee, they experience withdrawal. Like it's well known that coffee will, um, people that are taking or addicted to coffee or caffeine, they end up experiencing some sort of form of withdrawal or um, 
addictive qualities. So one thing I really want to emphasize is if we want to um, resensitize the brain, so making the brain more sensitive to caffeine, um, we can utilize different compounds to do this. Number one, we can take something known as coleus forscolin, which is a another Ayurvedic herb that's actually used for um, stimulating the thyroid gland, helping with uh, fat loss and also helping with improving brain function. Um, coleus forscolin is beneficial because it actually upregulates a particular dopamine receptor known as the dopamine D2 receptor. And coleus forscolin has a beneficial effect on this receptor. And if you take that towards the end of your caffeine, let's say you're, gonna, you're about to take a break from caffeine and you start taking the forscolin, it'll help to increase those dopamine D2 receptors, maintain energy, increase tyrosine hydroxylase, which helps to convert tyrosine into L-dopa and then from L-dopa into, into dopamine. And, you know, most people notice a pretty easy, gradual, easy transition um, if they're trying to like wean off caffeine or if they're trying to potentiate the effects of caffeine and make it actually stronger. Um, so definitely considering this coleus for scolin, um, definitely consider that as a like a fat burning dopamine upregulating uh, compound. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, there's a, a lot of people who are working to cut back on their caffeine just because it's normalized to drink six, seven cups of coffee. So I imagine that potentiating one or two cups of coffee and getting to, to get the full benefit of that caffeine without having to continue drinking throughout the day would benefit a lot of people, myself included, as I've just finished an espresso during the course of this, of this podcast that we've been doing. I've taken to doing one or two in the morning and then an espresso in the afternoon. But there's a very narrow window that you have to hit. And I learned that the hard way also, right? Like I spent time in Italy and they're big on doing a little espresso after dinner. I don't know what they got going on in their brains over there because if I do an espresso after dinner, I'm not sleeping. I'm certainly not going to be able to really check my aura ring and feel very good about it. You know, it's a, it's a recipe for a short night's sleep for me. So different, different brain chemistry for different people though. Now, I think one of the main goals of biohacking for a lot of people that I've talked to is about healthy aging, right? And as somebody at the biohacker summit said from the stage and say, raise your hand, anybody here who wants to be having really good sex and MDMA parties when they're in their eighties. And a lot of the hands went up, right? I think there's this, this fascination with healthy aging for good reason and people working to reverse their biological clock in the same capacity. That's quite popular from what I've seen in the biohacking community is people who say, I'm 52, but I have a biological age of 23 or what have you. So fascinating stuff. Now, what are some actual biohacks that can work for healthy aging? I'm sure there's a lot of snake oil that gets peddled out there, but at your experience and in the clients you work with, what are some healthy biohacks for better aging? Well, first and foremost, number one in terms of interventions to slow down the rate of aging or to have an anti-aging effect is actually caloric restriction or fasting. It's pretty well established now that, you know, deploying some form of fasting regime will help to increase something known as autophagy, um, stimulate stem cell production, and actually have an anti-aging effect on the body. <clears throat> so definitely considering, you know, 14 to 18 hour fasts, you know, maybe two to three times a week, or deliberately lowering your daily caloric intake below your baseline calorie intake. 
Um, so that's obviously going to induce a weight loss effect, a fat loss effect. Um, so definitely that is one strategy. Now, obviously, that's not the most ideal way to, you know, most people don't really want to do extreme periods of fasting. And, you know, guys like myself, and I'm sure you do as well, I love food and I don't really want to be every single day in a caloric deficit because I I enjoy good quality food and I love the taste of so many different types of food. Um, but I'd say from a supplemental perspective, one that doesn't really get talked about a lot that has some good preclinical data is actually astaxanthin. Now, astaxanthin is a pigment that's found in salmon. It's actually what they believe to make uh, salmon actually that red color, gives off that pinky red color. Um, and astaxanthin is a, another, funnily enough, another marine drug um, that has some you know potent antioxidant properties. And astaxanthin also has some you know impressive research in terms of protecting the body against various types of stresses, and helping with um, increasing antioxidant status, glutathione production. And so I'd say astaxanthin between 4 to 12 milligrams per day in the morning with breakfast. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if in the next 5 to 10 years we see some impressive human clinical studies um, demonstrating that astaxanthin has a beneficial effect on slowing down the rate of aging. Well, you heard it here first, folks. I think that's really important, right? And uh, a lot of people are optimistic that our generation and future generations will potentially reliably live to 120 or longer. Like Dave Asprey, who I'm sure you're familiar with that name, he is one of the longevity experts and he's confident that he's gonna live till at least 180 years old. And that's pretty baffling for a lot of people still, but in these circles and in people who are actually taking advantage of all of this knowledge and information that's out there, uh, it seems to be pretty commonly accepted that people are going to live longer and more importantly, arguably, they're going to live healthier because what's the point of living till 120 or older if you're going to be decrepit, right? You still want to be functional. You want to be very optimally aligned as much as possible. So I've certainly speaking for myself there. And I really do hope to be able to live a long, fruitful, healthy life. And I would like many people listening to also do that. So to take seriously some of the intel that we're getting right now, which is cutting edge intel, thanks to Lucas. So I'd be curious if you could walk us through your daily routines, right? And obviously it's gonna be different for everyone. You talk to 12 biohackers, you're gonna get 12 different strategies for you know how they're gonna structure their time and their habits and whatnot. But can you just kind of outline your daily flow from when you wake up, maybe what time you wake up, a little bit about your morning routine and supplement stack on through the day until you put on your blue light blocking glasses at 6.30 p.m. and start to wind down? Yeah, so I mean, I'll use this morning as an example, I mean, this was a typical morning. So I woke up around 5.30. First thing I did was I, you know, went to the bathroom, you know, took a, took a dump. Huge biohack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, took, took, a, took a dump. But as I was taking a dump, I was doing something else at the same time. So I was actually oil pulling whilst I was taking a, taking a dump. So that is a, uh, you know, killing. And at the same time, I was also making an Instagram post. So there was three things going on all at once. So I was <laughs> secret of the pros right there. All right. I'm listening. So oil pulling, taking a dump and creating an Instagram post all at once. Um, so that's, 
Yeah, and at the same time, there was actually a bit of sun that was coming through the window. So there was a bit of, I was getting some sunlight on my face as well. So, uh, yeah. Damn, were you getting a foot rub too? That's amazing. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, so typically, so that's sort of first thing in the morning. I take my supplements, I drink water. I'm not having any caffeine or any food or anything. I'm still fasting. I went to the gym, trained abs for like 40 minutes, um, came back still fasting, went on the treadmill, did some steps. Usually I do about, realistically, on a, on a on an ideal day, I try and do 10,000 steps on my treadmill. I'm responding to emails as I'm doing that. Um, that's my most productive part of the day is actually the first 10,000 steps where I'm just like responding to emails, planning out the day. Um, and then I'll break the fast, have my first meal, which is typically animal product, animal meats, like, or, you know, animal products like um, meats, chicken, fish, some sort of like eggs, different high fat foods. That's when I'll take my supplements as well. So I'll take a, a bunch of different supplements, which I'm at the moment taking taurine, uh, PEA. Um, I was experimenting with St. John's wort for a period of time, um, taking L-phenylalanine as well, which is good for dopamine. Um, and then artichoke, obviously that was mentioned. And then, Basically, what I'll do is, obviously, I've had some sunlight exposure as well in the morning, um, but really, I mean, it's not that over the top. Like, I don't go crazy with a three-hour morning routine. Like, I know Brian Johnson has a a three-hour morning routine. I mean, I, I'm not, I, I choose to sleep in longer than do a three-hour morning routine. Yeah, he's fascinating. And uh, he was a speaker at a conference that I was recently speaking at, and it was my first time to really see him, although he Skyped in, but he really burst on the scene over the last year or two, right? And uh, has, has populated a lot of our timelines with his very eccentric, but seemingly effective routine and, and advocacy as far as uh, longevity and biohacking and, and supplements, which there's quite an overlap, increasingly so, between psychedelics, biohacking, and longevity. And there was just a great article in The Guardian written by my friend Shayla Love, shout out Shayla, that calls psychedelics and longevity long lost twins, essentially, that they seem to be very effectively aligned. And uh, the reason for that, according to Brian Johnson, being that psychedelics can give you a reason uh, to live longer, right? That you can kind of combat your traumas and overcome using these various medicines and healing modalities, as we call them. And then you're really stoked about living longer because for lots of people, for this biohacking and longevity, like you really have to have a North Star that you have to really enjoy your life and your health in order to want to preserve it. And I think that's probably one of the fundamental challenges for a lot of people right now who are suffering from depression or from PTSD and these indications that uh, it's difficult to see through the fog, right? And along those lines, brain fog is such a huge thing, especially in the digital world we live in, right? People are constantly consuming information. We get bombarded by all this different information. There seems to be a lot of expectations for you know how we show up in the world. So, what are some of the techniques that you employ to cut through the brain fog and to stay very sharp and focused? Yeah, definitely. When it comes to brain fog, I mean, first and foremost, if we look at the the typical symptoms of brain fog, it's more like lack of mental clarity. You can't find the right word. You feel like there's a heaviness in your head. You just feel like sort of out of it, not really focused. Things look a bit hazy. Um, so, brain fog is a real common issue, and a number of people 
experience it on a daily basis. And, and even a lot of people experience it without, well, they, they actually suffer from it, but they don't even know that they have it. Um, and they, ha- they haven't actually seen what it's like to feel at their peak when they have zero brain fog and great mental clarity. Um, so definitely there's a range of different nootropics that can help with that. Um, specifically, we want to suppress neuroinflammation, so inflammation that occurs in the brain. Um, and we can do this with taking a liposomal or um, an advanced form of glutathione. So glutathione is the you know master antioxidant in the body. And if we supplement with glutathione, that can make its way into the brain, protect the brain cells, um, reduce that brain fog, and help with that mental clarity. So definitely consider looking into liposomal glutathione. And second to that would be high-dose vitamin B1. Um, I know you said you tried vitamin B3, niacin, in high dose. Well, I can assure you that if you take vitamin B1 in a high dose, I promise, Dennis, you won't flush. You'll stay the exact same color. You, you, won't, um, you won't get any of those effects. But definitely um, vitamin B1 at a high dose, I mean 100 to 800 milligrams, can give you extremely good mental clarity and can reduce brain fog as well. Super, super important. And I am on my way right now. I'm going to put it in my Amazon cart today. So that's a good one right there to know. Now, we got a few minutes left here. So I want to leave you with the last few minutes to issue a call to action for the audience. How can people connect with you? What kind of coaching services and programs and consultations are you offering? And what is your parting shot for the micropreneur audience today, Lucas? Yeah, no, I appreciate the the appearance here, Dennis. So they can find me at um, Boost Your Biology on YouTube. That's where I post a lot of content. I know you're big on YouTube as well, but that's like my main goal is to build that up. So there's over 500 videos on there with all free, great content, um, health education. So go and subscribe there, Boost Your Biology. Um, and if they want to personally work with me, they can go to boostyourbiology.com. Um, that's boostyourbiology.com. They can reach out to me there and connect with me. And they can also check out my other social media platforms on that website there as well. Well, you have a ringing endorsement from me, my friend. And the dude is a class act all the way around. So thanks again for coming on the Mycopreneur podcast today, Lucas. And I wish you continued success in all of your endeavors. Awesome. Thanks, Dennis. We'll, uh, we'll be in touch. And that is a wrap. Thank you for sticking around to the bitter end. It's very sweet of you to commit so thoroughly. Don't be a stranger. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please consider checking out the substantial backlog while you're at it. You can reach out to me via email, micopreneur at gmail.com. Or hit me on any of the numerous social platforms that I'm currently active on. At Micopreneur Podcast is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you all very much for sticking around. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you back here next week on the Micopreneur Podcast.